Welcome, it's great to have you with us. Um, second of all, um, I just want to say and pick up what uh, Derek was saying a little bit earlier. Um, in the providence of God this week, I've just realised afresh, um, as we've been looking at 2 Corinthians, um, and this is a theme through the book, uh, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against uh, spiritual forces of evil uh, in the heavenly realms. And as we've been looking at the book of 2 Corinthians over the last couple of months now, we've seen, isn't there, that there is this unseen world. And uh, that was really brought very much um, to the forefront in the last week or so, um, as I've had the, really the great privilege, and I, I must say, it is such a blessing to serve with such godly elders and deacons and deaconesses um, here at Cornerstone and chaplains uh, in our hospital here at Royal Hobart. Um, it's just been a blessing to serve with people like Amy and Derek and, and Sally. And um, there was one moment this week where we were at the hospital and we were talking to this lady, and she's, she actually has, has given me permission to tell you her name and her story. Uh, her name's Renata, and Derek's told you a little bit about um, her background and everything. But she said to me um, one day, she said, I really feel people's prayers. Um, why do you care about me? And I said, well, there's actually not just us praying for you. There's a whole bunch of people you don't know that are praying for you. And she goes, why would you do that? And we said, well, because, you know, God loves you and we want you to know God's love and we want you to know his freedom. We want you to know his forgiveness. And, um, and she just, and we want you, and, and that's really part of what's knowing the good news. And um, one of the chaplains that was there, some of you, or many of you will know this lady, Ruth Burgess, uh, herself comes from that kind of background, um, just said, that's the work of an evangelist. And she said she nothing. She goes, what's an evangelist? Oh, they're just people that bring good news, uh, that bring you deliverance from Satan and forgiveness of sin. And um, she said, that's just such a beautiful thing. Um, and uh, she just, I know, wanted to say, um, to you, through me, thank you. you know, thank you for all of the people at Cornerstone, deacons, deaconesses, elders, um, growth groups that have been praying for her. Um, Derek convinced me during the week. He said, Mark, this particular day that we're going to talk to her about some very deep issues, we need to fast and pray um, beforehand, 24 hours. 24 hours, Derek. <laughs> I was starving uh, by the end of the next day, but it was a good thing to do. And, um, and all glory to God for what he's done. So I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And, and what I tell you all that because as you read what we're about to read, you'll understand just how relevant what I've just told you is. And this is God's word. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power 
to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are looking only on the surface of things. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I am not ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realise that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's territory, but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Would you please join with me in prayer? Father, as we come and as we sit at your feet now, we want to pray for your protection against the evil one who would seek to only come to steal and destroy. Father, we want to pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us the truth of your word. We want to pray for your blessing upon this time now that both what I say and how I say it would bring you glory and would bring edification to all of us. Give us discernment, Lord, to hear what is true, reject what is false, that those things which are truly from you, Lord, 
We pray that we would receive with the obedience of faith. Father, we pray for this new child of yours, Renata. We pray that you would grow her in her faith. Continue to deliver her from the devil and the evil one with all these deceptions and accusations and lies. We pray that we too would walk in the truth and that, Lord, we too would go to war. Not fighting as the world does, but enter into your spiritual battle. That people may be one for the Lord Jesus and live for his honour and glory. May your salvation be known. May we see conversions in Hobart, Lord, and beyond. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 2 Corinthians 10 brings us to the very heart of Paul's letter. And it's what I refer to proverbially as the elephant in the room. That's because up until now, Paul has been dealing with all kinds of pastoral issues, but he has, up until this point, tactfully avoided facing the central issue that the church was dealing with. And that was false teachers had come into the church and they were actively undermining Paul's ministry. That was a significant problem, which the Lord's Apostle now turns his attention to and he finally confronts. Gary Miller, uh, the principal of the Presbyterian College in Queensland, and can I just say this, if you're looking for a commentary on the book of 2 Corinthians, in my opinion, and David Jones confirms this, so it must be right, this is the best one. He says this, There are few harder things to cope with and few things of which we can be more certain if we are followers of Jesus than personal attack. Sometimes people will question our convictions. At other times, they will undermine our character. At other times, still, they may pour scorn on our competencies. They might even do all three at once. He goes on to say some of the time their attacks will be outrageous. Some of the time they will be more subtle. Some of the time they will be perfectly justified. At other times they will be completely spurious. Often criticisms and attacks will be a mixture of truth and lies. But whatever the nature of the attacks, they will come and we will need to be ready. Ready to listen, ready to learn, ready to refute lies, ready to change course, ready to be corrected and ready to stand firm. They're wise words. In fact, The Apostle Paul says elsewhere, doesn't he? If anybody wishes to lead a godly life in Christ Jesus, he will be persecuted. Not he might be. He will be persecuted. 
This is something I've been personally uh, encouraged and challenged by recently, and I think that by the grace of God, I hope you will too from God's word this morning. What follows then in this particular chapter is an excellent model for what we should aim to do whenever we are personally attacked. Because unfortunately, we're all going to experience it at one point or another. And as Gary Miller rightly says, sometimes it will be true. Sometimes it will be false. But how do we respond when we are? And so we need to be prepared whenever it happens. How we respond, though, makes all the difference both to our own spiritual well-being and ultimately to the glory of God. Now, I'm going to try and cover quite a bit of ground this morning. Just a bit of a warning. And so I'm sorry if I move a little too quickly. As with all of God's word, there are so many great truths that it's difficult to know what to leave out. But nonetheless, I hope that this provides a helpful framework for you to dig deeper into the Bible for yourself. And most of all, I hope you hear God speak to you today through his word. The first point that Paul makes is verse 1. If you still have your Bibles open, have a look at this with me. It's that we should seek to be meek and gentle when we respond to those who oppose us. You see, our natural reaction whenever something like this happens is that we're angry and defensive. Because our sinful impulse is to get upset and even to return insult with insult, as Paul warns about doing elsewhere. Do not return insult for insult. It's interesting, isn't it? How did Jesus respond when his own enemies attacked, insulted, and ultimately killed him? Well, verse 23, 1 Peter 2, we read that when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, And here's the key. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. To the one who sees all, hears all, and knows all. That's quite remarkable, isn't it? Jesus could have rightly raged against the unjust treatment he was receiving because he was, we all know, completely innocent. None of us can claim that. Even in our best moments, we sin. But Jesus didn't retaliate verbally or with threats of physical violence. Instead, when he was being arrested, Christ rebuked Peter for wanting to fight back with the sword, saying, do you you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions Of angels? Is that not true? Jesus knew that he had all of the resources of heaven at his disposal. He he merely had to snap his fingers, ask his father. And even when he was falsely accused, he acted with self-control, godly restraint and grace. Why? Because he knew that there was one who saw and heard everything. 
He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He knew that our Father in heaven would do what is just and right and fair. Even if on this earth people behave appallingly. And that's how the Apostle Paul responds as well. He's not harsh or aggressive, but appeals to the Corinthians with, notice this, the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Oh, how we need to hear that. I need to hear that. And of course, the Lord wants us to do the same. The second point, though, is something of a contrast to this. And it's that we continue to speak, or actually, I should say this, we could continue to trust in and speak the truth. You see, meekness and gentleness doesn't mean cowardice. Meek is not weak. What does it look like then? In particular, we're not to back away from the conflict, but we're, we're to fight in such a way that the Lord God himself has prescribed. So you take a careful look at what Paul says in verses 3 to 5 again. We're to engage with those who oppose us with gentleness and meekness. We're to engage with our opponents in a way which is constructive and edifying. And then Paul says in verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. There is no kind of, you know, if I can put it like this, physical jihad that is ever justified for the Christian. On the contrary, the weapons we have have divine power to demolish strongholds. We speak words of truth that just as God spoke the world into existence, we speak a word of salvation which rescues people from death to life. But it's by speaking. It's invisible. It's unseen. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive not every person, but every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You see, the battle we're engaged in is an unseen spiritual battle in the heavenly realms. It's one that requires courage. It's one that requires knowledge. It's one that requires wisdom. But most of all, it's one that requires truth. You see, we don't try to persuade people with our own wisdom or our own strength of personality, but with the truth of the gospel. As someone used to, one of my, I think it was one of my old ministers, used to say to me, whenever somebody says, oh, I like to think of God, like <laughs> that's heresy. Whatever comes next, that's heresy. It doesn't matter what you think of God like. What's, what matters is what God has revealed himself to be like. For the word of God has spiritual power to change people's hearts and minds. And can I say, friends, this is what the devil is most adept at deceiving. 
His way in the garden and his way with Jesus in the wilderness is always to say, did God really say? It's always fundamentally about questioning his word and his promises. You remember Jesus in the wilderness? He's just been baptised. The spirit of God comes on him like a dove and God, a voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I... I love and whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. You know what the very first thing Satan does to Jesus when he's in the wilderness? If you are the son of God, I'm sorry, did you not just hear the voice from heaven? Do you not know who you're talking to, the eternal son of God? That has known the father throughout all eternity, that there never was a time where he did not exist. And that yet the devil can have the audacity to say, well, if you are the son of God. But what's so subtle and what's so devilish about that deception is he's making him question his identity. And that's what he does to us. If you're a Christian, well, that is if God could really forgive you for the things that I know about. The Satan is an accuser. You see, the word of God, that word that you have in front of you is living and active, the book of Hebrews says, able to divide joints and marrow, soul and spirit. You might think that you're sitting there with that book or that paper in your lap and you're reading the Bible and thinking, oh, yeah, I'm interested in that. I'm not so interested in that. It does nothing for me. That word is reading you. You don't sit in judgment on that word. That word sits in judgment on you. And if it's not cutting you, be worried because it shows that your, work, your heart is hard. This is a word, as such, Scripture is the most powerful weapon when it comes to proclaiming or defending the truth. There's nothing like it. And it doesn't matter whether you're like this lady we talked to, Derek and I and Amy, this, this week. If you're in the depths of darkness and despair, God's word is light. And it's truth and it's power. And it can heal even the most broken mind and broken soul. Our goal is to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Because we want the glory to go to him and not to ourselves. Gary Miller has another really profound thing to say on this. He says, we must do everything in our power to remember that we never get past needing God to work in us and through us by his grace. God always works by grace all the time. A day will never come when we can say, I am now wise and God works because of me rather than in spite of me. We must not, Miller says, trust ourselves but only the truth of the gospel. One particular aspect which Paul mentions, though, that we need to consider more deeply are his words in verse 6. Because at first they sound a little strange, don't they? It's where the Lord, Lord's apostle says, and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Now, what does he mean by that? I mean, isn't that kind of contradictory? If everyone obeys what Paul writes, then what a disobedience is there left to punish? What Paul is talking about here, though, is the wisdom and the response of exercising caution. 
to not just rush in and do battle against everyone whenever, you know, anything they say is not 100% biblically correct. You know that type of ugly religious behaviour? It's a temptation um, in our supposed theological zeal um, to act like spiritual stormtroopers. To self-righteously delight in exposing how wrong the other person is all the time. But brothers and sisters, there's a danger of being censorious and excusing that kind of attitude and behaviour by claiming to be zealous for the truth. And we're not being zealous for the truth at that time. We're being zealous for ourselves and our own self-righteousness. Truth is crucial, yes, but it must never be divorced from love for those whom we are engaging with. That's the key. That's the challenge. Because it's possible, it's possible to win the point but lose the person. And whenever something like that happens, we've always lost. That's always a lose. What Paul is modelling for us here then is that the goal is to speak the truth in love. He's giving the Corinthians time to reflect and respond to what he's saying. But he's also saying that there's going to come a time when we will well, he will, confront people regarding their sin. John MacArthur explains what Paul is doing really well like this. He writes in his commentary, Paul would not unleash his formidable apostolic power on anyone until each had taken his stand. That way it would be clear who accepted the truth and who rejected it. Paul would be compassionate to the former, but the latter would find him to be a courageous and highly competent opponent. The third point then follows on from this, and it's that we should put our confidence in Christ. Paul says in verse 7, If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. There's a kind of, again, pride and self-righteous censoriousness behind this, isn't there? Oh, I belong to Christ. I'm a true follower of him. You, I'm not so sure. You know, sometimes we can, you know, at the, at the start of 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses this divisive sort of spirit. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. But you know the other really proud person that Paul talks about? I follow Christ. You see, the proud person doesn't say any of those things. It doesn't compare like that. To boast that we are known and loved by Christ is not just a good thing, but essential whenever we're being attacked. Again, this is the devil's most strategic arrow. Are you really a Christian? Has God really saved you? Are you really forgiven? Does God's spirit really live within you? These are all the lies of the devil. Because Satan's strategy is to always, and I just emphasise this, friends, always make you question your identity in Christ. If he did it to Jesus, you can be sure he'll do it to you. Both as to our calling to salvation, as well as our service. Indeed, this is exactly what the devil did to Jesus himself when he tempted him in the wilderness. Again, he repeatedly tried to make Jesus question who he was, his identity as the eternal son of God. He said things like, if you are the son of God, 
turn this bread into stone. Another time, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from the top of the temple. Kill yourself. Because God's going to rescue you. Because the Lord wouldn't let anything happen to you, would he? If you're the son of God. See how devilish that is? So Gary Miller says that there are going to come times for all of us if we are to keep going when we have to say to ourselves this. It's a beautiful thing, statement by Gary. He says, I know that I'm broken, sinful and inconsistent, but I am in Christ and he has appointed me to serve him. So I'm going to get on with it, whatever people think of me, in the strength that he supplies. Sometimes that's what you need to say to yourself. Let me say it to you again. Sometimes you've just got to say, I know that I am broken, sinful and inconsistent, but I am in Christ and he has appointed me to serve him, so I'm going to get on with it, whatever people think of me, in the strength that he supplies. You see, we need to keep on trusting that Christ has saved us. Even while we were still his enemies, he rescued us. And that in our weakness, he will strengthen us to fulfill what he has planned for you and I to do. He won't give up on us. You began a good work in us, won't give up on us until the day it's completed. We need to constantly reaffirm our confidence in Christ and what he is going to do in and through us by his grace. Because it doesn't depend on us, it depends on him. Jesus said... I hold them in the palm of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my hand. You know, and then we think to ourselves in our moment of weakness and demonic deception, well, maybe I could slip out. I'm sorry, are you stronger than Jesus? (laughs) Are you slipperier than Jesus? Is is his strength, is is his grip on you not strong enough to hold you when you're slipping and sliding all over the place? All of which brings us to point number four, and that is we need to strive for consistency. As we saw a few weeks ago, those who were opposing Paul were accusing him of double standards. They were saying that he was this like roaring lion when he was miles away from them in their, you know, their pen in the hand. But he was just like a little lamb when he actually showed up. Oh, his letters were impressive. Who could read Romans or 1 Corinthians and not be impressed? But in person? Yeah, you know, I prefer the preaching of David Jones. <laughs> Paul says himself in verse 10, some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. And then Paul goes on to say, some people should realise that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. That's an apostle you don't mess with. Paul was clearly aiming to be consistent. It's easy, isn't it, to be one way on social media and a completely other way in person. You ever met those keyboard warriors? Have you felt the temptation to be one? You know, you write a really strongly worded email, but then you totally wimp out in saying to the, those same things to the person in person. What you get from Paul on Sundays, though, was what you also got from him during the week. He lived what Gary Miller describes as being a joined-up life. 
as he explains, whatever the situation, whatever the cost, Paul spoke the gospel into people's lives. Is that me? Is that you? God calls us to this kind of joined up life so that when trouble comes, nobody can say that we are changing our stories to suit ourselves. So let's be consistent. One of the ways that this kind of sin is especially manifested is when we give in to gossip or slander. A really good test to apply to ourselves in this regard, especially in keeping with consistency, is would I say the same thing about someone to someone else if I knew they were in my presence? Would you say it? Because if we wouldn't, then we should immediately stop speaking. You see how easy it is to be inconsistent? Again, flattery is the opposite of this. Would you say that, you know, that thing, that glowing thing to that person that you say in person, because you're really trying to, you know, grease the wheels here, would you say it if they weren't there? If you wouldn't, then it's flattery. It's not sincere. It's inconsistent. What we say in private then should be precisely the same thing that we say in public. And what we say in public should be precisely the same thing that we say in private. That's a joined up life. The fifth point is also the one which I find to be personally the most challenging. As if all of the others weren't personally challenging. And that is resisting the temptation to compare. The problem is, is that every time we do it, and boy, we do it a lot, don't we? Every time we look at another person and measure ourselves against them, we are throwing the door wide open to one of two sins. Either pride, where we, if we can you know, score higher than them, or it's twin sister, self-pity, if we can't. But whenever you compare yourself continually against another person, it's one of either those two things, mistakes. Pride or feeling sorry for yourself. Every time we compare ourselves, we throw living by grace through faith out the window and we start to run with a gospel of good works. Every time we compare, we swap living to please God with living to please ourselves under the guise of impressing other people. You see, the problem is that we compare ourselves, or when we compare ourselves with others, we ruin our own happiness. It's so self-destructive. We're either slipping into this ugly superiority or self-indulgent self-pity, both of which are a slap in the face to Christ who rescued us and treasures us even even when we are often foolishly led astray by our own sinful pride. The antidote to this then, and here's the good news of this, is to focus on doing the good works which God has given you to do and no one else. Paul says in verse 13, We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. You see, you don't need to compare yourself to anybody else. You only have to do what God has given you to do. There is a wonderful freedom in knowing that God has called each of us 
to different tasks. That's the beauty of serving in a Christian church. You don't have to have all the gifts. <laughs> I don't have to be like, you know, some of the most outstanding people in our church in other ways. I can just be me and do what God has given me to do. In particular, and this is the real beauty of being a Christian, is you can rejoice in the fruitfulness and productivity of what someone else is doing. You don't even have to feel intimidated. You can go, that's fantastic. You don't have to feel jealous or guilty that their particular ministry is bearing more fruit than your own. Instead, what the Lord has called each one of us to do is to be faithful in doing the good works that he has given us to do. That's, that's what he's asking. To use our talents and our gifts by his grace the best that we can. Now, to back up this point, Paul quotes from Jeremiah 9, which we read from earlier. It's a really important passage because it encourages us to put our confidence in the Lord and not in our gifts or abilities. So turn over your corner post or look up your Bible. Have a look at verse 23 and 24 of Jeremiah chapter 9. This is a good one to put on the fridge. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. It's a great truth to remember, especially when we're being attacked. Because our identity doesn't come from our success or from our influence or from even our ministry but by being faithful to the task that the Lord Jesus has given each and every one of us to do. That's all we need to focus on. Do you serve at church by stacking chairs and putting them on? Be content. Do it to the glory of God. The false teachers that were, that were opposed to Paul were trying to drag him down in this regard. This is, and again, this is the devilish deceit, right? And if, it, if you've never felt it, don't worry, you will. It'll come. So here's the answer to it before it comes, okay? In Philippians 1, he talks about how it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry and selfish ambition. They think that their fruitfulness will make Paul look bad. Their ministry, their church is growing bigger, having more influence in the city than, than his that he shouldn't be trusted and therefore he shouldn't be elevated. He shouldn't be listened to within the Christian community. How does Paul respond to all of that though? That's pretty bad. Imagine having people doing that to you. Does he get defensive? Does he try to counter with, no, no, actually I have been pretty successful. Uh, or that the ministry of his opponents, you know, it wasn't as genuine as you think. There were some dodgy sermons that they preached a little while back, you know, and not everything's great in that church over there at Corinth, you know. That's, what we, that's sort of the normal way we do things, isn't it? No, not Paul. Instead, he says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I lament. I'm sorry, I rejoice. <laughs> that's fantastic. What an incredible example of humility. 
Paul was glad that his opponents were being successful, even though their motives might not have been pure. But at the same time, Paul doesn't lose sight of focusing on what the Lord has called him to do. In the same way, let me encourage you to look not at what others are doing or to be envious or to be proud, as the case may be, but to instead be spiritually content. And the way to do that is to rejoice in their success and perform, go on and perform your own ministry to the glory of God by his grace in your weakness to the best of your ability. The final point really ties all of this together. And it's that we are to seek to please the Lord. This is absolutely crucial, isn't it? Verse 18. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, we play for an audience of one. Proverbs 27 verse 2. 27 verse 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Someone else and not your own lips. You know, when you praise yourself, you're tempted to, you know, to tell everybody actually how good and successful your ministry has been. Reward paid in full. There's your commendation right there. But that's not the one we seek, is it? We seek one from our Heavenly Father. It's very easy, especially when we're attacked, to try and justify ourselves by talking about all of the good things that we have done. And by God's grace, we have done. That is such a huge temptation. We need to resist it, though, and entrust ourselves to the Lord. Because it's his glory that counts and not our own. I've quoted Gary Miller a lot in this sermon. It's just because there's so much of what he has to say that is so helpful. <laughs> if you ever, again, looking for a commentary on 2 Corinthians, that's the one to get. Let me just quote you one more thing in closing. He writes, Ultimately, it is living like this, living to please the Lord Jesus, which sets us free to cope with conflict and opposition and criticism and slights, to do it all with a deeply secure smile on our faces. Somebody came up to me the other day. I was at a conference down the road at Wellspring. And I was talking about another church, which will remain nameless to protect the innocent. <laughs> they said, you know, this church down the road has grown by 50 people this, this year? I thought, that's great. <laughs> that's fantastic. And it is. It is fantastic. That's what Paul models for us. That's what we're called to do. Unfortunately, we're going to be personally attacked for following Jesus. It's just part and parcel of being a Christian. If you're not now, if you never have been, just wait. The question is, who do you boast? The words of the prophet Jeremiah are a timeless reminder that is true. This is what the Lord says. Let now the wise man uh, not boast in his wisdom, or the strong man boast in his strength, or the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. That's where our confidence and boasting should be, friends. For in Christ is a sure protection against our enemies and everybody who might oppose us. 
Let's pray then that the Lord gives us an undivided heart, that he will refresh our zeal and renew our commitment, that like the prophet Ezekiel, he will make the resolve of our foreheads like the hardest stone, like flint, and that we won't be afraid or terrified of those who oppose us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for you, and when we praise you, for you are the true and living God. We thank you that you've spoken to us through your word this morning. So many precious jewels, um, much fine gold is your word, Lord. And we pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of this word. We wouldn't just be titillated by the truths that we hear, but that we would be deeply impacted by them. That you will, by your Holy Spirit, remind us of these truths throughout the week and months ahead, that we would obey them. Father, we are fundamentally sinful and therefore inconsistent. Forgive us for where we have failed to keep your word. And we pray today for all of us, Lord, each and every one of us here and listening online, that you would renew us, that you would transform us into the image and likeness of Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.